So we have been in this conversation uh, taken from the first chapter of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And what we've been seeing is that for Paul, the very center of the Christian proclamation is located here at the cross. And I've wondered if you have, if you could get Paul into the same room as John, and maybe for all I know they are up in heaven right now, but if you could get them in the same room and ask them, John, your understanding of the center of Christianity is one of the most famous things on earth. You go to a football game, you go to any kind of public event, there's a banner hanging somewhere that says John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Uh, Everybody who's heard anything about Christianity eventually hears John 3.16. John's understanding of the center of Christianity is so well known, but Paul locates it in the cross. He says, we proclaim Christ crucified. And if you could get them together and say, what's the difference? My guess is they would say, Nothing. There's no difference at all between John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and we proclaimed, we proclaim Christ crucified. And let me take this out of the theoretical, the abstract, you know, the ivory tower, and bring it into our lives. Let's suppose we live in a world where a terrorist can shoot up a nightclub, injuring 50 people, and killing 50 more. What would we do about that? What would God do about that? We've had a week to think about that very question, and there's been no shortage of answers. There's been the get tough response. People have said, what we need to do is we need to toughen up gun laws. We need to make it harder for people to get access to these firearms that they can do so much damage with. Other people have said, what we need to do is we need to get tough with our immigration laws. We need to make it harder for bad people to ever get into the country. Other people have said, what we need to do is we need to get smart. We need to get inside the head of the terrorists. We need to understand what makes them tick. We need to unravel their networks. We need to to trace them back to their sources of funding and training. We need to get smart. And so we've heard all kinds of answers about what you do in the event of some great evil. But Jesus would give a different answer. And it is an answer, frankly, that we would find offensive. That we would say, well, that is stupid. We'd say, people like you make me sick. Because what Jesus would say is, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What Jesus did is go to the cross. And as Paul said, we proclaim Christ crucified. What do you do about terrorism? What do you do about any evil, no matter how great? You love the people. And you give yourself for them. That's offensive to us. It's offensive, and beyond that, It doesn't make sense. Even today, 2,000 years later, we look at it and we go, that just, that's impractical. That would never work. And so we say, 
I don't buy it. We say, that doesn't make any sense. And by doing so, we locate ourselves exactly where the people in Paul's time were. The people who found the cross to be a scandal. The word that Paul actually uses here, he says, he says, we proclaim Christ crucified. He says, a stumbling block to Jews. The word stumbling block is scandalon. It means something that is offensive, something that, that you trip over. He says, we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block, a scandal. Let me show you a picture. Alex just lent me his laser tool. He may get it back. So I know it's hard to see, um, but this is a picture. Um, uh, about 150 years ago, some people were doing some archaeological work in Rome, and they found this room that had been sealed off um, because... The, the hill above it was kind of collapsing and the buildings up above were in danger of, uh, uh, being destroyed. So they did a lot of, you know, work to kind of rebuild the terracing and they just made this, uh, building a part of that work. And so it was sealed off for, for many centuries. And as a result, it's in great, um, repair. I mean, it, it hasn't, it hasn't been uh, destroyed like so many of the ancient, uh, uh, archaeological finds are and as a result as a result we can actually make sense of it ourselves. I mean you could walk up to it and see what it says. Um, I know it just looks like a bunch of scratches in a wall here, but let me show you a, a little more detailed picture. So this is this is what is called the Alexa Mimnos graffiti and it's uh, in Rome and I'm going to show you uh, you can kind of make it out but I'm going to show you a little bit better picture there. That guy right there, that is Alexa Mimnos. And what he's doing is uh the in the next picture you can see what he's doing. He is worshiping his God. And that's what the, the chicken scratches actually say there. They say, Alexa Mimnos worships God. So the artist, uh, probably about 200 AD, um, maybe 150, maybe as late as 250, somewhere in there, about 200 AD, the artist there in Rome mocked Alexa Mimnos. He said, Alexa Mimnos is a fool to worship a God like that. What kind of person in their right mind could worship a God who came down from heaven and died on a cross? Crosses were offensive. You know, you ever, you ever watch the news and it says, you know, graphic content warning? Um, it, maybe they pixelated something on the screen because they didn't want you to see it. That's the way the cross was in polite society. I mean, everybody knew it existed, but you didn't talk about it. It was an offensive word. And the thought that a God could find himself on a cross was an offensive thought. And we see that. What are they saying here? What What is this picture actually saying? It's saying, Alexa Mimnos worships a God who's an ass. What could be stupider than a God who comes down from Olympus and gets himself hung on a cross? That's what they said about Alexa Mimnos, who worshiped a God on a cross. The cross is foolishness to Greeks and a stumbling block to Jews. For Jews, the the problem was different. They, they didn't like the cross any more than Greeks did, but for them, the way that they made sense of the world, for 600 years, the, the Jews had been under the control of one foreign empire after another. And, and they said, first the Babylonians, then the, the Persians, the Greeks and finally the Romans. 
For 600 years, they had been under the control of these empires. And the way they made sense of the world is not to say that God had been overpowered by these worldly empires, but to say God had used these worldly empires to carry out his own purposes for Israel. And so when God made promises that a Messiah was coming, a a king that God would send, who would have all the power of God, the power that had moved the Babylonian and Persian empires, that was behind the scenes in everything Rome did in the Holy Land, that God with that power could not find himself on a cross that was offensive because it turned their whole world upside down. How could the God who moved empires be the victim of an empire? So for Jews and Greeks, for the people who knew Alexa Mimnos, the Greeks, Alexa Mimnos' God was a foolish God. And for the Jews, it was even worse. It was a powerless God. And Paul is saying, that's what we proclaim. God so loved the world. We proclaim Christ crucified. Now, I am tempted here, because this is the way my brain works. I'm tempted to kind of take a break and explain how this actually does make some sense. And to be honest, it is easier for us today than it would have been for Paul, because we've got 2,000 years. We can look back and say, see? So we can say that the weakness of the cross toppled the mightiest empire on earth. We can say it may be weak, but it's stronger than the greatest empire we know. And I can even make an argument for the wisdom of God. In 1945, the, the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in, um, he was, he'd been imprisoned by the, the Nazi leadership of Germany, um, and was uh, soon to die in a concentration camp. And he was able to smuggle out a writing in which he said, um, can you move forward? He said, only the suffering God can help. He said, if you have an Olympian God, a God who lives up in the mountains and does his thing and really doesn't care what's going on with you, what kind of God is that? Why would you want that God? There in the concentration camp, Bonhoeffer said, only a God who has gotten down into the depths, only a God who has seen and done the things that we have to put up with, someone who's seen the disease and the despair, somebody who's seen the chaos and the violence, only a God who suffers is really any help because we suffer. So I can make a case for the wisdom of God as well as the power of God. But Paul would tell me, stop. Paul would say, don't bother. That that is a mistake. Paul would say that is misguided. He says, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Paul would say, we don't have to convince anyone, because we're not articulating a theory about the way the world works. We don't have a religious system to share with people. What we have is a fact. We have a fact that Christ was crucified. That was just the inescapable logic of the early church. They said, look, Jesus came. He was a great teacher, told wonderful parables. Everybody loved his stuff. He did miracles. People were convinced that he was from God. And then he wound up on a cross and he died. And we realized we were wrong. For three days. 
But on the third day, God raised him, confirming that he was, in fact, Christ. He was, in fact, the Messiah. And that is what we proclaim. Not a religious theory, not some complicated theological uh, system. We proclaim a fact. Christ crucified. Foolishness to Greeks and a scandal to Jews. So, for Paul, what Christ did is he showed the way the world really worked. He said, regardless what your eyes tell you, regardless what your experience or your the, the people who speak into your lives tell you, what Christ has done, he has shown us how the world really works. He showed us because he showed us how the God who made it works. So, what do you do with a terrorist? What do you do with a terrorist? We've heard any number of answers all week long, but what we did not hear is we love them and die for them. And uh, to be fair, there's a reason. It's because it's so easy to mischaracterize that as we love them and let them kill us. And that's not what this says. To give your life away is not the same thing as to let somebody corrode their own soul by killing. If we believed you could somehow kill a room full of 50 people and it would have no ill effects on your soul, then we could have that argument, but we don't believe that. We know it's not true. So we support law enforcement agencies. We we support the public policy positions that come out that we think will be effective in combating terrorism. Because we believe that the innocent should be defended. And we believe that the terrorist himself should be protected from the harm that his violence would do to his own soul. So we support that. But at the same time, we remember what Jesus told us about the way the world works. What we do with evil when it is in people is we love the people and we give ourselves for them. We die for them. And I have to tell you, when it comes to a terrorist, I'm not there. I can't imagine dying for that terrorist. And I don't know about you, maybe somebody here can, but I don't think most of us are in that position. Most of us aren't going to be asked to do that. Maybe only Jesus could actually die for the most unspeakable atrocities. But he did. And for us, the rest of us, the people who annoy us, the people who get under our skin and make us grit our teeth at them, aren't terrorists. They're not trying to kill us. They're the ordinary, run-of-the-mill people. They're insensitive, hurtful jerks. And so for us, the problem is so much easier. We don't have to love a terrorist. We just have to love the jerks we know. We just have to love difficult people the way that Christ has loved us. Today's Father's Day, and I think every father and probably every mother understands this intuitively. I can remember for years before we had children thinking that I would dread changing diapers. But within a couple of hours, I did it. 
And I didn't blink because I loved my child and something that I had been afraid of was not a big deal. I was able to give of myself in that little area. I was able to take the low place without even blinking. And so we know this. We see this in families, not as often as we should perhaps, but we do see it. And unfortunately, we don't see it much outside of families or close, loving relationships. And what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is demonstrating at the cross, is this is the way the world is really designed to function. When we love people who are unlovable, we are most closely aligned with the purposes that God made the world for. So love the people around you, whether they're lovable or not. For God so loved the world, we proclaim Christ crucified. In the room next door to the room in which the Alexa Memnos graffito is found, there's another graffito. There's no picture, so I won't show it. But what it says in Greek is, Alexa Memnos is faithful. 1800 years ago, whoever Alexa Memnos was, he was faithful. And people like him were faithful. When the world was mocking them, when the world was saying, I don't believe in a God like that, that's a stupid God, that's an offensive God. Alexa Memnos said, I am prepared to face your scorn. I am prepared to be mocked by your graffiti because I am faithful to the God who gave himself for me. I am faithful to the God who was crucified and rose again. And because Alexa Memnos and people like him in the early church were faithful, they did change the world. Let's be like Alexa Memnos. Let's be fools. Let's be mocked. Let's be ridiculed. Let's love people who don't love us. And like Alexa Memnos, let's change the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for Alexa Memnos, whoever he was and whatever he did. We thank you for the person he must have found very difficult who mocked him in that drawing because it gives us insight into how the early church found the cross every bit as offensive as we do today. But we thank you most of all for what the cross reveals about you and about the world you made. And so we ask you, Lord, to soften our hearts, align us with your purposes, help us to love people who are unlovable. Help us to give ourselves away. Help us ultimately, Lord, to die for others. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.